0: Welcome to Spooky
1: South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed
0: to happen, but it does AM fourteen twenty, WBSN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Foster.
2: Good evening, welcome to Spooky South Coast, Ken Weisberg here alongside the silent assassin Matt Costa, and in just a little bit we'll be joining science advisor Matt Moniz who is live in Roswell, New Mexico for the 60th anniversary of the the Roswell incident, the UFO crash, the weather balloon crash, the spy balloon crash, whatever it was that happened, it happened 60 years ago. Uh, This weekend, and we are going to be talking about that case uh, with our special guest tonight. Joining us a little bit later on will be Jesse Marcel Jr. Now, if you heard the Roswell Smackdown show that we did last week with John Horrigan and Matt Moniz going head-to-head for 15 rounds uh, regarding the facts and myths in the Roswell case, Jesse Marcel's name came up. He was the uh, Army Information Officer who was the first, I'm sorry, he was a major in the Army who was the first person on the scene uh, when the crash debris was first found, he was the first military member to take a look at it and transport it back. And Jesse Marcel Jr. was 11 years old at the time, but he was home and in bed when his dad showed up with the wreckage uh, on the back of a truck and said, hey, son, wake up. you got to come out and take a look at this. It's history-making stuff. So we will talk to Jesse Jr., who has a new book coming out about what it was that he saw and what it was that uh, the Army told his father to say in the years following It's it's fascinating how much, you know, here's a person who was just a kid at the time and and uh, his dad stayed silent for it uh, for many, many years. I think it was 1970 when he first actually uh, went public with the information about what happened, that it actually was a, a saucer crash. So here's somebody that, you know, was, was just a young guy, but it had such an effect on his life from then until now. So we'll talk to him about that. What's called the Roswell Legacy, and that is the name of his new book. Uh, there's a link to spooky on SpookySouthCoast.com. There's a link to Jesse's site, but it's MarcelJunior.com or the RoswellLegacy.com if you want to order that book. Uh, we'll talk to him about that. We'll we'll also talk with Matt Moniz while he's out there and see uh, what kind of guests he can just grab. I mean, I've been talking to him over the course of the weekend. He, he's he's talked to everybody from uh, Stanton Friedman, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Peter Robbins. Uh, he had a chance to talk to Jesse himself. So he's definitely uh, been in contact with a lot of some of the biggest names in ufology out there. And so we'll see if he can grab any of them while we're on the air because you know, we're starting a little bit later than usual, thanks to the Red Sox. But we will be here for as long as we can keep going for. Uh, Matt, you, you had a cup of coffee or something before we went on the air? I had uh,
3: yep, plenty of soda and coffee. So you, all think, set, ready you think to you're go. ready to go? Uh,
2: so, uh, w- w- you know, we didn't really get a chance to talk. Uh, you and I really didn't get a chance to weigh in too much last week in the Roswell Smackdown because of the enormity of what we were trying to do. And, and it sounds great on podcasts. I don't know how it sounded on the radio for people listening live, but once uh, the magic of editing took over, it, it sounded great on podcasts. But w- w- in in the, the research you've been able to do and the information you've heard, what do you think happened uh, in 1947 at the Roswell site?
3: Well, I don't necessarily believe that it was, in fact, alien... UFO or what have you. I think it was just kind of a secret experiment or what, some government cover-up. Uh,
2: you know, and I, I tend to agree with you that,
3: you know... And it was definitely a gov- government cover-up, regardless of yeah, what, was, what it was exactly. So,
2: But do you think that even now, 60 years later, whatever the technology was that they were trying to, to do at that time, either they succeeded in doing it, which, you know, if it's something like the stealth bomber... Uh, if that's the, you know, the end result of what it was that they were trying to do, either either they succeeded or failed at what they were trying to do now, sixty years later. Do you think at some point they would have just come clean to end the speculation, or do you think that it, whatever it was, you know, it still has to stay a secret because of maybe other engineering plans that were involved that might affect future projects? I, I don't know what reason they'd have, but do you think sixty years later there'd still be a cover up of something that was? A government project. Well yeah, I mean, probably. you still think so? I
3: think well, I don't know. I don't think they would cover it. They they have no reason to keep covering it up unless there's some official in the Pentagon sitting back laughing in his chair.
2: Yeah, I mean is that cigar? really the only I mean, I'm sure that there, if it really was a government project or a weather balloon or something, okay. there's probably still people that get a kick out of the fact that so many people are obsessed with the idea of the Roswell crash. But I just can't buy into the idea that, you know, 60 years later the truth wouldn't have come out. You know, the truth has come out on the UFO side for many years now. There's been numerous books published, uh, witness testimony. There's been so much evidence on that front. And very little on the other side to say, hey, you know, here's the proof that it was just a weather balloon.
3: That, and if it ever did come out that it was just, in fact, a weather balloon or what have you, it would, the marketability of Roswell itself, there would be no show on the W. Wait, there is no show on the. W. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: the show wasn't nearly as good as the. Uh, no, the definitely Roswell not. Case, but, but
3: there would all these toys and Rosfest and. Yeah, I mean, there's I there's mean, that that amusement park that they were trying to build would never come to fruition so well,
2: yeah and it, it looks like that's going to be on track and there's another uh, another similar uh park being planned as well and there are two conferences going on this weekend down there so yeah. there is that cottage industry you know it's a it's almost like uh as if uh point pleasant west virginia suddenly found out there was no mothman or you know uh there was no, the, Loch Ness. no Loch Ness, or... no Bigfoot foot oh, out you know you have to keep uh, perpetuating those stories because it generates tourism dollars. I understand that from you know the, the Roswell Chamber of Commerce point of view, but in terms of of Stan Friedman, uh, in terms of Donch, uh, in terms of these these people who have spent so much time researching what's going on out there. I mean, if sooner or later they would have uncovered some sort of truth, if it really was just some sort of government project, I think if the evidence keeps. Keeps, I mean, follow, as they say on shows like CSI, you know, follow the evidence. Uh, you know, Occam's Razor, go for the simplest explanation. And I think that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing, you know, the simplest explanation tends to be that there was something that happened there. Whether or not it's, it's, uh, you know, to the extent that we've heard that there were bodies recovered and yeah. that there's, they still have this stuff uh, somewhere, you know, at Langley or somewhere. You know, whether or not it was that, to that extent. I tend to think something from not from this planet did crash there.
3: Well, if if it was in fact an alien crash or something, um, then the government would probably be. It it would be a smart thing to do to put it off on hold all these years. Yeah, keep covering so because memories fade and documents get shredded and burned, or Uh, so
2: we're we're hearing now. We're hearing deathbed confessions from the people that were involved and what reason would they have to wait until they were you know on their way out to to make these confessions they're they're not selling any books as matt pointed out last week they're not you know they can't have a book to sell if they're dead so all they're doing by putting this deathbed confession out there and we'll get into uh uh, walter g hout's uh affidavit that just came out this week in, in a new book but all they're doing when they do that is creating a crap storm for their family after they're gone. Really, that's all they're doing. Yeah. I mean, a guy like Jesse Marcel, uh, Jesse Marcel Sr. Came, came clean about what happened, you know, back in 1970. I think he died in 1986. So, I mean, he was uh, accountable for quite a number of years, and he spoke to a lot of these investigators and was quoted in uh, TV specials and books and, and documentaries. But a, a guy like Walter Howitz going to say this when he's on his way out and say, I don't want this released until after I'm gone. All he's doing is creating the chance for people to attack him posthumously. And I just can't imagine that all these people would do that. You know, it's, a, it's like it the Warren game, Commission. So. Yeah, exactly. The Warren Commission You know, keep it closed until until we're gone because we don't want to have to answer for what we didn't say for the 40 or 50 years prior. So, uh, But uh, we will talk to Matt Moniz live in Roswell in just a bit. And we will take your calls all night long on the Roswell incident, what happened there, uh, just your general belief in UFOs, uh, government cover-ups, anything along those lines you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508 500 And, uh, you know, I think we're going to suspend the Week in Weird this week, Matt, only because, you know, we're going to be up against it for time and we we can only keep the silent assassin up for so long. He's he's not a night creature by by habit. Not anymore, anyway. But one story that I did want to point out uh, before we get into the stuff about Roswell was in today's Standard Times, uh, the New Bedford Standard Times, the the paper... Of which I am in their employ, and I. Uh, this was written by Jillian Bateman, a Standard Times correspondent, and uh, there was a investigation done into Fairhaven's Millicent Library. Now, for those who are fans of the show Spooky South Coast, uh, that's kind of what gave us the the kick in the pants to get this show going. Uh, Matt Co- Matt Hossin and myself, we had a lot of interest in the paranormal for many years. Uh, done a lot of research on our own. But it was when I wrote a story about the Millicent Library for the Standard Times that I realized, wait a minute, people around here talk about this stuff and are interested in knowing more. And so there was a group that did an investigation out there, uh, I think last night, uh, just looking at the story real quick. But the story ran in today's paper. So we're going to uh, look into that a little bit more, see if we can get this group, the Pawtucket Paranormal Society out of Pawtucket, Rhode Island, see if we can get them to join us, and the director of the library, uh, Miss Carolyn Longworth, we'll see if we can get her in next week and we'll see if we can explore that more. But we just want to make you aware of that before we get into what's going on Roswell-wise. But uh, if you want to call in, 508-996-0500, 508 500 We have a call coming in. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hi. Hi. How are you? It's Audrey. Hi, Audrey. How are you?
4: I'm good. How are you?
2: Oh, uh, very well. Getting a little bit of a late start tonight because I of noticed. the, uh, the Red Sox. red I'm sorry to keep you on hold, but the you know we were we were sitting here saying you know, uh, generally we don't root against the Red Sox, but on Saturday night we root against uh, whoever's going to get off the off
4: the radio for us. <laughs> well, you know you get the the sports the, the spooky sports going on. Yeah,
2: we can't just escape it. You know, it's it pays the bills during the day for me so.
4: Well, well, have you already talked to Matt, or is that coming up, right? That,
2: that'll be coming up in a little bit. Uh, I know he's uh, trying to get an investigation done while he's out there. And
4: right, well, well, I have talked to Matt tonight. Um, I had a little bit of an experience tonight while Matt wasn't around to help me.
2: Yeah, figures, right?
4: Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, we had this guy come in, um, like a black ops guy, come into my sister's house. All our kids were there. He whips out these books. They're all about, you know, aliens and and the world, the New World Order. And I'm like, dude, you know, what are you doing in this house? Um, I called Matt. He told me, you know, call the cops to get out of there. So we had to get the kids out. I mean, we've, we've been running all night, so I figured I'd call you.
2: So he just he just showed up at your house? I mean, did yeah. he, did he yeah. force his way in or did you let him in?
4: No, well, he knocked on the door. It was a young guy. Mm-hmm. He was about 23 years old or whatever. He sat down on the couch and, you know, like an encyclopedia salesman. He whips out these books, like, you know, and I said, do you even know what you're talking about? And I had him in the corner, and his his watch started beeping. And I asked him, I said, why is your watch beeping? He says, oh, my boss beeps me every five minutes to keep me awake. I'm like, what, do you fall asleep at the wheel? What What are you doing? I said, can I see your watch? He's like, no. And I I told the kids to get out of the room, and Debbie was calling Matt at the time. Mm -hmm. I had him pinned on the couch, and I said, let me see what's in the bag, and he pulls out all kinds of books about aliens and books about the New World Order, and they were signed by people. It was really weird, Tim. It was really weird.
2: But you, you think he was black ops more than, than just uh, some you know, just some no, lunatic? No, no,
4: I know, because I asked him. I, I, I put him in the chair. I said, you know what, you know, I said, who's your boss? He looked at me, and he started babbling. I said, no. I said, look me in the eye. I said, don't lie to me, and you tell me who you are. And he's like, well, um, I'm this, uh, I said, well, why are you selling me this? And then I threw a book at him that I bought for a dollar fifty yesterday at the Redemption Center. You know, and I said, look, I can I can pick this stuff up anywhere. I said, why did you choose this house when all over the neighborhood it says no soliciting, mm-hmm. no nothing? I said, he says, well, I've tried to come here five times. I said, why did you try to come here five times? He says, I don't know, my boss wanted me to come here. And I've, I've got pictures up. Now on my MySpace, it's the same helicopters that Matt's got on his space, mm-hmm. and we we called Matt and he said, "Call the police and get out of there because that's who they are this well, was tonight." While he was in Roswell,
2: and and for those who are unaware, uh, Audrey and her twin sister uh, have both been abducted by aliens in the past, yes. and uh, they've they've undergone that for quite a number of years. So is this? A frequent occurrence in your uh, life well, that
4: well, the first this is the first time they ever entered the house. Okay. I've seen them around my house. We've gotten out of our cars as the as the um, helicopters are following us and waved. And of course, the helicopters, you know, they, they haul ass and pretend they didn't. Yeah, see they us. pretend
2: exactly. Yeah.
4: But I was on night watch after your show. Yes. And after Beyond Reality, And the whole entire time, I was talking about important things. Um, like the Black Ops, I mean, I, the last time I was regressed uh, with Joe Nyman when Matt, when mm-hmm. we were on your show. Remember when we were yep. on your show, when just, Matt regressed me?
2: Just a couple um, of months ago, yeah.
4: Yep, and they it was in April 14th. The guy sent me um, the transcripts and the tapes of the show, and they disappeared in the mail. So I talked to Todd from Nightwatch about that and about a bunch of other things and his whole broadcast was cut short and it just he said he never heard anything like it it was he had to erase that whole segment so my whole interview was wasn't there
2: Hmm. very strange yeah uh, it's
4: very strange talk to todd ask him
2: well and absolutely and todd's one of the uh one of the most stand-up guys in this field
4: yeah. You know, and so, so I was like, Audrey, you ever need anything. He said, that is so weird. He said, that I've, that's never happened to me before. But that whole interview that I did with him, Tim, is it, gone. I mean, it's been, it was hacked to the point where all the important stuff was gone. He said there was so much interference that he couldn't even put it on the air. Now, but that was, I mean, the live show, of course, had everything. Yeah,
2: because I remember listening to it live, and, and I was able to hear what was going on. Yeah, but,
4: but th- try, listen to the podcast. Listen to the podcast and listen to how different it is. And well, it's all gone. In
2: that case, we apologize in advance for the missing segments of tonight's <laughs> I <know>. show.
4: But, <laughs> Probably right now. <laughs> so, so, but
2: now, I mean, what do you do for the for the rest of tonight uh, and, and going forward? I mean, how do you protect well, yourself? right
4: now, I don't, you know what? I, there's only so much I can do with running. Mm-hmm. Um, I called my father, I told him what was going on, and I said, Dad, look, you had to remember the bald man in the past, because we have all our kids here right now, okay? Yeah. So this guy shows up and comes into our house, and, and we you know, automatically got rid of him. Matt told us to leave, and we left. And my dad's like, I remember the bald man, and of course my dad, you know, he doesn't want to believe this stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And I told him, I said, look, well, don't you remember us when we were three talking about the bald man? And he says, yeah. And I said, and he says, I remember your brother talking about the bald man. I said, well, why don't you call Mike then? You know, if you listen to my brother more than me, yeah, yeah he's exactly. more credible. I said, call Mike. Well,
2: it just seems like, you know, I think maybe as you're becoming more visible, and that's because you've been very vocal and you want people to, to understand that this is going on, that there I know that you've been trying to start some support groups and, and, and yeah. getting, getting but that people. That whole
4: thing was gone. That was all taken away from Nightwatch when I said I wanted to start a support group. So now is another thing. Uh,
2: yeah, it seems like as you're becoming more visible, they're they're kind of on to you more, and uh, they're keeping a closer eye on you. So Exactly.
4: I mean, the next day, they were hovering over my house. My friend Tammy was there, and she stayed with me for a week. She's been with me. I mean, from day one. I mean, she's one of the people that knows.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, we all have to know. It's going on right now. And when she left to go home, there was a helicopter that buzzed like right next to my window in the trailer park. Wow. You know, and I and I put my finger up again. You know, you know <laughs> what I mean. What am I supposed to do? I gave him the
2: one gun salute. Yep. <laughs> Well, uh we are, we are coming up on the news. I, I hate to cut you short, but I hope that you at least stay safe. Uh make sure the kids stay safe.
4: Oh yeah. I've got I've got the kids separated. Um We've got the baby here. The other two are with my mom. You know, and I just I don't know what to do. I really don't Matt is in Roswell. You
2: and, know, it, and it's he, almost like it's perfect timing like they knew if they were going perfect to Perfect
4: timing. You know. Cuz Matt is the one I call. And it was, it was crazy. The guy knocked on the door. But I had him cornered, and I made the kids go outside. And his his watch started beeping like, abort, abort, you know what I mean? And this poor kid's like, I'm an intern. I'm like, yeah, you're an intern. What, selling encyclopedias? I said, why don't you just, you know, recite well, a sentence of the book that you're selling me. But he had these strange books, Tim.
2: Well, do you, you have contact info for Chris Pittman? um yes i do okay get a hold of chris Pittman tomorrow and he'll be able to hook you up with somebody up in your neck of the woods anyway that can at least keep an eye on you and and at least be in contact with you till matt gets back
4: all right i have been trying to get because the person that i tried to get in touch with um leon something the guy from Mufon that that, that's still in the computer i called him the other day and he's been retired for two years Hmm. so i'm like you know what the what the hell who am i supposed to call
2: well, uh, I'll I'll see what I can dig up, but definitely see if you can get a hold of Pittman, and and we'll get at least somebody to keep an eye on you till, till Matt can get back. All
4: right, please do that.
2: Okay. All well, right, stay safe for tonight okay. and I'll I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Take care. All right, yes, that is uh that that's Audrey, one of the one of the twins. Uh you've heard their story on Night Watch and and Beyond Reality and on this show Spooky South Coast and uh so for for the government to be showing up, uh, at least w- what she believes is the government showing up, Matt. I guess uh I guess there is definitely a cover-up in place. It's kind of funny that we're talking about that, you know, right before it happens. So, but we do have to take a break for the news. When we come back, we will have science advisor Matt Moniz with us, as well as Jesse Marcel Jr. And we will continue talking about Roswell with uh, two guests calling in live from Roswell. So stay tuned. We'll be back with more and your calls here on Spooky South
1: Coast. Lost civilizations, extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons,
5: magic and witchcraft, unexplained phenomena.
2: For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at Fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate
0: awaits. Coming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond. Here's more of
1: Now it's time for a breakdown.
0: Don't mind if I do. Spooky South Coast is burr. Crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. I'm
4: not afraid.
0: You will be. Welcome to Springfield, South Coast.
1: Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.
2: back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, the silent assassin, Matt Costa, alongside working the boards tonight, as always. Uh, Matt, So we, we had a, a call in there with, with Audrey uh, talking about her, her MIB experience earlier tonight. and It just seems uh, you know a little bit timely, like I said, that it was when Matt Moniz uh, is out in Roswell. You're going to make a trip up to Maine if she needs some, some help?
3: I don't know. It's pretty far up, though. <laughs> I think she can handle herself
2: if she pinned the That's guy true. down and... But, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we've, we've been talking about uh, here for the last two weeks uh, discussing the Roswell case is the, the government cover-up that happened. Uh, no matter what went on, uh, the fact that you know they, they're not giving all the information that they could give uh, is what's really disturbing. And uh, we actually have joining us tonight one of the first people to witness the debris from the crash. We have Jesse Marcel, Jr., who is the son of Major Jesse Marcel, who originally went to view the wreckage uh, back when it, it, the crash first happened in 1947. And we, we talked about it all last week, and we heard some sound clips from Mr. Marcel, but now we get the chance to talk to him directly tonight. Uh, he joined the Navy in 1962. Uh, he was part of the Cuban Missile Crisis. He was involved in that as well. Uh, he was in active duty uh, for for quite a long time, and then he left and then he got called back in again, <laughs> and then he left, and then he got called back in again. So here he is. He's 71 years old now. He he just recently finished uh, a tour in Iraq, and, and I heard a rumor that he might be going back. So when when you're one of the, the top naval surgeons that they have, uh, I guess that's what happens. Mr. Marcel, I'm very impressed that at at, at your age you would still be willing to, to fly over there and do this kind of stuff. Uh, you must be in great shape.
5: Well, pretty good, I guess, for my age, you know. Uh... But you know it's a it's a mission that I believe in. So I thought you know if they you know my unit's supposed to be going back next year, and if they need a flight surgeon, that's my MOS. I'll probably go back with them with the uh, uh, black hole helicopter units.
2: Now my co-host tonight, Matt Costa, uh, he has two cousins that are both uh, in the the Army Reserves, and uh, or is it National Guard? But, mm-hmm. but uh, Reserve. And, and they've both done some some time over there. One of them's actually over there now, and. And uh, we, we thank you for your, for your years of service and, and for everybody out there who, who might be listening, all the men and women of the armed forces.
5: Well, thank you very much.
2: And, you know, your your father was uh, was a major in the Army, and he was called out to see the wreckage at the Roswell crash. He was the, the first member of the military there. And he stopped at your house on the way before he even went to the base. Is, is that true?
1: Uh,
5: yes, what he did, he uh, went out to uh, recover some of the wreckage from this uh, crash, uh, whatever it was. And on the way, he recognized it was very unusual, uh, certainly exotic, and nothing that he'd ever seen before. And uh, on his way into the base, our house happened to be on the way. So uh, knowing the exotic nature of this, he swung by the house so that my mother and myself could look at this and uh, try to determine for ourselves uh, what the heck this was.
2: And and what exactly did you see? Well, you know, he
5: had uh, this about, well, about 1 o'clock in the morning, I guess. You know, in the summertime, I was... I've been riding my bicycle with my friends all day,
1: so mm-hmm.
5: I was sound asleep when he came into my bedroom, and, and he also had w- awakened my mother to come into the kitchen where he had pre-positioned some debris on the kitchen floor, and he said, "Take a look at this. It's something you'll probably never see again." And uh, uh, what it consisted of was a lot of foil-like material. Uh, there was some uh, beam-like uh, uh, members which had uh, some strange lettering or writing on the inside. It was like a, oh, I thought at first it was Egyptian hieroglyphics, but it was not that. It was more like a geometric symbols of balls, squares, you know, various shapes. Uh, very pilot is a violet, purplish hue, uh, reflective in with light.
2: And now your dad being a, a military man, and you, you, you got to be pretty uh, tight-lipped when when time calls for it and if he didn't think that this was something extraordinary he wouldn't have woken you up at that at time of night to share it with you
5: exactly you know uh if this was like what they say was a a uh, torn up uh, radar target uh he would have just thrown it in the garbage rather than bring it home mm-hmm. and uh and you know i have to add that uh, he had gone through radar school so he was real well versed with what radar targets look like and this was not that
2: in, in terms of the material itself, I mean, it's been described as a foil-like material, but wasn't it uh, extremely durable, uh, more so than, than normal foil would be?
5: Yes, it was, and uh, I guess some people have witnessed this uh, metal with the memory. You could bend it, fold it, unfold, and unfold uh, and back to its original shape. As a matter of fact, I heard <coughs> my dad say that one of his men had, uh, had taken a larger piece than I saw and tried to bend it with a sledgehammer. Uh, it might have been, it, it deformed, but it sprung right back out where it uh, began with, so it could not be damaged.
2: And, and to have that type of material in 1947 was, it was not something that was commonly available to the general public. I mean, yeah. it, it's possible that it could have been, I mean, people have said, you know, it, it was probably some sort of government project, but that's something that you, you kind of could use a, a lot more uh, in everyday life than just keeping it a, a secret for the government. You know what I mean? If, yeah. If that, if, if that type of uh, malleable metal was, was readily available
5: yeah well, well my dad's he was familiar with every with all air, air stuff you know aircraft experimental and otherwise mm-hmm. you know v two rockets whatever, and this was not that yeah
2: he was right on on the cutting edge of all the stuff being there and being involved in it, so for him to say, hey, it's not anything that I'm familiar with yeah that, that that's to me that's one of the most credible reports it says a lot now. Your new book is called "The Roswell Legacy," and it involves not only what happened uh, with the crash, but also how it's affected your family uh, in the years since. And to become known as, you know, the the family that talks about the Roswell crash when you're both highly respected members of the military, does it seem? Did it seem to, to really weigh on him in, in the years following the crash?
5: Well, you know, uh, in one of the in you know he, he flew the material to uh, Roger Rain- General Rainey's officer mm-hmm. in Fort Worth. And uh, years later, I saw him posing with a with a ripped up uh, radar target on the floor of General Ramey's office. Uh, not what we saw, and the look on his face says it all. He's like, you have got to be kidding me. This is this is not what we had." And uh, but that was where the cover up started, right there.
2: Yeah, we have those photos posted on SpookySouthCoast.com, dot com, and I, I wanted to ask you about that because it really <laughs> does seem like uh, he's being forced into taking those photos. Uh, you know, it's kind of like when we make uh, Matt Moniz, uh, who, who you had the pleasure of meeting earlier, it's like when we make Matt Moniz sit in a, a publicity photo with us. It's like, do I really yeah. have to do this, you know?
5: Well, yeah. Uh, well, And he was given orders, you know, not to talk about this. And uh, and he was a good soldier. He followed orders.
2: And and those orders go beyond just, you know, your active time. And when you're told to stay quiet, you stay quiet. Yeah. But well, do you, you think know. finally at one point it just weighed so much on him that he, he had to come clean?
5: Yeah, I think he said, you know, 30 years later. He began to break uh, the uh, silence there, and uh, Stan Friedman, uh, a UFO investigator, heard that he might have had something to do with the Roswell out of, uh, UFO crash out of Roswell. So Stan looked him up, and uh, that's where the, the story broke, right there.
2: And even talking to Stan, uh, was he kind of reluctant to really, really come forward with all the information at first?
5: I was no longer at home at that time. I was in the Navy and elsewhere, so I wasn't uh, privy to what uh, he was doing at that time.
2: I'm just going to make the assumption, too, that uh, your father must have told you, you know, in the the days following the original crash, you know, you can't talk about this with your friends.
5: Absolutely. You know, when he came home from uh, Fort Worth, uh, he sat my mother and myself down and told us in no uncertain terms that we were never to talk about this, ever. But, you know, here we are talking about it, so.
2: Did did it ever come up again at home, though, amongst yourselves?
5: Very rarely. You know, we would, uh, uh, I guess the nearest thing to that would be when you're checking out in the the grocery store, you might see these sensational headlines. (laughs) Exactly. And we'd kind of wink and nod at each other.
2: Now, to to see this type of of debris and to to know that, you know, your father, who believed that it was something not of this earth, and and, and you believe that as well, does it just lend to the idea that there's more... than just what happened at Roswell, that there's more information that the government has about these ships, about these visitors that they're keeping under wraps?
5: Oh, I think there is. You know, uh, you know I think, obviously, it is a cover-up, because uh, looking at those photographs, uh, uh, that was not what, was what I saw, anyway, and uh, not what my dad saw, either, except okay. when he was forced to hold his uh, target up. But uh, w- in one of the photographs, something very interesting, there is a telegram in General Ramey's hand that happened to be facing the camera, Well, with computer enhancements, David Rudiak, an investigator, has enlarged the telegram, and you can read certain words like victims of the wreck, aviators, crashed disk. And, you know, we're not talking about a weather balloon or even a mogul balloon with that.
2: Now, was that something that when when your father first uh, showed you this this wreckage, did he mention anything about there being bodies involved, about there being victims of, of the crash? No, no. Apparently
5: there were two sites there. Uh, there was a debris field that my dad was associated with, mm-hmm. and but then there was another field where a larger part of, of whatever it was came to, to, to earth. And if there were crew members, that's where they were located. But okay. my dad uh, don't I don't think had anything to do with that part.
2: But he did, you know, as you said, uh, you can tell by the look on his face, he, he <laughs> did feel uncomfortable with what was going on. Yeah. And it it seems like you know somebody that has to live with that type of secret for so long sooner or later is is going to have to tell that story.
5: Oh, uh, I think so. Well, you know, he was in, interviewed by another reporter uh, about the time that uh, Stan Friedman uh, interviewed him, and he was very very upset about having to pose with false wreckage, you know, wreckage that had been switched from the genuine article.
2: And, and that's you know that hurts on his credibility as well.
5: Well, yes, and to, uh,
2: to be part of a cover-up, it. it, it kind of makes it so that everything that you say after that can be scrutinized either way
5: an unwilling cover-up he was associated with an unwilling cover-up there
2: and you've been you've you've been a commentator on on this uh crash uh, for a number of years people stan friedman and others have have contacted you for your side of the story but you've waited quite a long time to really share the effect that this has had on your family
5: well i was i was rather uncomfortable in coming out with it but uh uh it wasn't until after my dad died uh and knowing that he had already started talking about this, then I picked the ball up and uh, and am running with it right now.
2: And, and what do you find is the general climate out there, beyond the ufology crowd, beyond the people who, who do realize that something happened and believe that something happened, but just the general mainstream public, you being such a, a respected surgeon, are you coming under fire for, for making these claims?
5: Uh, no. Uh, people who know me know I'm, I'm credible, that I would not be making something up that I didn't see. Uh, So, no, not at all. Even in the military, you know, this did not affect my promotion status or my MOS or jobs. Uh, I was given whatever I wanted to do.
2: Do you ever hear from other members of the military? Do they come forward with information that they might have, you know, a little wink, wink, keep this to ourselves kind of stuff, but that they've experienced similar similar cover ups surrounding uh, UFO crashes? Yeah,
5: some of the aviators I've flown with, uh, you know, have kind of stories that, well, I saw something, I wasn't sure what it was. Uh, and, you know, we kind of go off on that. But, uh, but you know, I, you know, I have over 3,000 hours in the cockpit of a helicopter. And I have to say, I've never seen anything that I could not identify. So I it, keep looking, though.
2: But it only seems like that time in, in 1947, though, there was definitely a, a huge number of, of UFO sightings that there was something going on. And, yeah. you know, we've, we've all heard the stories of what was going on around Roswell and, and other bases in that area at that time with the, the nuclear testing and, Oh, yeah. uh, some of the uh, experimental aircraft and just the different stuff that they had going on uh, in advance of the Cold War. Do you think that there was a reason why they were targeting that specific area at that time for, for these visitations?
5: Well, I think uh, we have w- uh, interested bystanders watching what the civilization is doing with itself. Mm-hmm. Now that it has joined the nuclear age and uh, is developing rocket research, sending probes out to other planets, yeah, I just kind of think they're wondering what the heck we're doing. Uh, we might pose a greater risk to them than they to us, knowing our warlike uh, capabilities.
2: Now, your book is available at uh, at Legacy dot com and also your site Marcel uh, marceljr dot com. Correct. But now, this is making its debut this weekend at, at Roswell at the convention.
1: Mm-hmm. It
2: is. And uh, is it seems, does it seem to you like everybody's really interested in, in hearing your side of the story, or is it just, you know, because it's everything Roswell now is so uh, i don't want to i mean i hate to use the word credible because it sounds almost like it wasn't credible before but people well, are people are really really taking this seriously now
5: i think they're wa- they've been waiting for this for a long time and uh, finally uh, it looks like the floodgates have been open with this roswell thing because uh, i think it's time that people know what happened out there uh you know they may choose to believe this or not it doesn't matter to me because i know what it was but uh but I think people are eager for any kind of new information on this because they realize how credible it is to have uh, perhaps other civilizations kind of eyeballing us from afar or even close by.
2: I mean, uh, I'm a young guy myself, sir. I mean, I, I've only been, you know, on this earth for about 30 years. So, mm-hmm. But I'm just going to guess that in 1947, you know. The idea of such a big government cover-up wouldn't have been so readily believed as now, where we've uh, lived through Watergate, the Iran-Contra, you know, stuff that happened with Bill Clinton, and, and even now with the presidency. Now that, you know, sure. we can almost understand that there are a number of government cover-ups. There's stuff that we don't find out about all the time. Yeah. So that now people can reopen Roswell.
5: Yeah, you, know, you have to look well, what the climate was in 1947. Mm-hmm. We had just uh, finished fighting one of the, the most horrible wars in the ever. Uh, the Cold War was starting to ramp up, so I can see why the government was kind of a little leery about uh, disclosing the fact that, hey, we're, we're not just by ourselves, but there's others watching us, too. Uh, but at that time, there might have been some public uh, reaction to this. Uh, at this point, though, I don't think there would be.
2: Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, if if the United States did have this, if they did capture this, this, this vehicle that crashed, uh, mm-hmm. the ship, th- they really wouldn't want to make sure that the... Uh... That the Soviet Union would find out that they had it, they wanted to right. to have that technology for themselves. Yeah. But do you think at some point, if there, as we were talking at the beginning of the show, do you think at some point if this really was just either some sort of U.S. government crash, a weather balloon, a spy balloon, any of these other excuses that we've heard perpetrated over the years, if it was any of that, wouldn't they have just come out by now and and said that?
5: Oh, I think so. You know, you know, they first started off with the cover story. This is a weather balloon. Then they switched it years later to a mogul balloon, which indeed was a top-secret device. Mm-hmm. But uh, with a mogul balloon, the only thing that was top-secret about it was its mission. Uh, it was designed to go up into the stratosphere and listen for sonic vibrations for, from possible nuclear explosions in the Soviet Union. But the materials that it was made of was off-the-shelf, very mundane things, nothing exotic with that at all.
2: And so as we were saying earlier, the only thing that could be – still worth covering up would be something not of this earth, because anything else by now, the technology's passed them by in 60 years.
5: Something very exotic, you're right.
2: (laughs) And do you think that, you know, we might see the results of what they captured now? Do you think like with, uh, you know, ships like the stealth bombers and and some of the stuff that they've been able to invent, do you think some of that was kind of reverse engineered from what was found that you saw that night?
5: I've heard people say that, well, we're probably getting some of the stealth technology, among other things, from reverse engineering uh, from... This uh, whatever it was, this craft. Uh, I kind of wonder about that because it's almost like giving, uh, say, a digital wristwatch to Galileo and asking him to reproduce it. That's a good, it's point. pretty difficult.
2: Yeah, and, and I also believe that what your father went out and saw, and, and what crashed, and, and what was brought back, is only what made it into the public awareness. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, if there's been direct landings or oh. or, or full ships captured that just didn't crash out in a field somewhere. Yeah. And so that it's a lot more well-protected by the government. Yeah.
5: Well, yeah, I think we're being inspected by uh, powers that we probably could not comprehend at this point, which means that we probably are not really in control of our own skies. <clears throat> but uh, but so far, in my opinion, my, from what I know of, they don't seem to be any danger to us. I think it's more just uh, you know, probes getting, getting information.
2: And, and did you feel, uh, in, in your father's lifetime, did you feel that that kind of affected him at all, that the realization that we aren't alone and that there is something greater was there any kind of of shift in in who he was uh mm-hmm. before that date and after
5: well you know uh he had uh, gotten an air medal he got bronze star he got uh, various medals during the the war in the pacific and uh i think he got so thoroughly disgusted with the united states uh military perhaps he resigned and he destroyed his medals he threw them away
2: Yes, yeah, so I'd, I'd say he did have yeah. a bit of change of heart in, in yeah. the way he saw things before. Yeah, I think so. Now, you were 11 years old at the time, so y- being a young guy, you're more open. And and at that age, I think we all like to believe that there's there's something out there. But oh, did man. you feel any kind of profound change in, in your perspective?
5: Well, what it did to me is uh, make me very interested in astronomy and cosmology because I realized that uh, those points of light that we call stars have planets around them. And so those planets... Uh, contain Earth-like uh, worlds with advanced civilizations. So, yes, it made me very interested in, in that uh, field of interest.
2: Yeah. It just seems like to, to be able to have that understanding kind of uh, it shrinks a lot of the, the earthly problems that we have. Yeah. It, it puts things into perspective a little bit.
5: Well, you know, I think uh, if the this thing was totally disclosed uh, to the world that, uh, yes, there are superior civilizations or more advanced civilizations watching us, it might kind of draw us closer. You know, maybe bind the wounds of our of our civilization with mm-hmm. all these tribal wars that we continue to fight. And it might mean that uh, we'd want to be closer to each other, knowing that there's others out there.
2: I, I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, sir, at all.
5: Uh, I did, you know, years ago <laughs> watching,
2: yeah. One, one thing that always struck me about Star Trek is, is the, the pivotal moment in, in their universe is when they made first contact with, with a, a, a species other than our own and when that happened, it drew everybody together and it made them realize exactly what you're saying, that so much of the stuff that, that we fight about is trivial. Yeah,
5: and that's
2: it, right. As, I think that's the one benefit to the people that are involved you know, the military people that were involved in what went on I think it changed their perspective a little bit and. and Maybe made them better people as a result of realizing that there it, is something bigger, yeah,
5: it might help us bind our wounds and, and forget all these stupid differences between people and, and our uh, uh, civilization here
2: and, and now your your father having to kind of make the same type of of backtracking on the cover up uh wh- what were your thoughts when the Walter Hout affidavit was released this week?
5: Well, I heard about that with great interest you know because you, know, you know some people had put my father uh, in the area where these the bodies are, the more of the craft was brought in. Mm-hmm. Now he never did uh, mention to anything about to me about bodies or something really exotic like that. But it might be that uh, he just maintained part of the cover up from that aspect. But uh, that was quite interesting about uh, about uh, Walter health because uh, he followed his orders to the bitter end because he was not going to disclose this while he's still
2: alive. And is there more information you think that will be forthcoming in in the years? In the well, future, I mean, do you think we'll find out more as more of these affidavits and more of these confessions come out of people just, you know, they have to get it off their chest?
5: Yeah, I kind of think so, and I would hope so. Because, uh, you know, hoping that uh, as more and more becomes known, people, the few remaining people who are alive at the time who know a lot about this, are, will be uh, encouraged to come out with their story.
2: And, and hopefully that's what, what your book will do as well. to
5: Well, that's what I'm hoping for, yeah. And,
2: and show the normalcy, you know, just because you, know, just because you were involved in, in this and what went on. Like you said, your father was just doing his job.
5: Yeah. You know, the giggle factor is going away about mm-hmm. uh, UFOs and things like that.
2: And, and, and we, fully, uh, we fully support that idea, too, that, yeah. you know, this is, we, we try to make here the strange and unusual. We try to make it a little bit more usual and a little bit more, well, you know, understandable for people to talk about.
5: Get used to the idea. Exactly.
2: <laughs> All right, so now that book is going to be available uh, through your website. Can people yeah, order yeah, it directly it, through yeah, there?
5: Yeah, it, it can be purchased now, and uh, it is available.
2: And, and we have links up on SpookySouthCoast.com. So, sir, I'm going to order one, and I want you to sign it for
5: me. Okay, I'd be glad to. You bet.
2: All right, well, good luck with the book, and, and hopefully uh, more information will be forthcoming, and well, and enjoy the rest of your time in Roswell.
5: Well, thank you, much. Appreciate that. Thank you. It's my pleasure.
2: And uh, that was Jesse Marcel, Jr., the, the son of the first Army officer to view the wreckage from the Roswell crash. Uh, I, I'm just fascinated by the idea Matt, that um, it can have such an effect not on just Major Marcel, Sr., but the fact that you know it affected his whole family. He was so moved by what he saw that he had to wake up his son in the middle of the night and, and bring them outside and show them, and... You and I, we know people in the military. It's, it's not really something that uh, they're going to – they're not the kind of people that will just jump to conclusions right away.
3: For someone to wake uh, their whole family up in the middle of the night says something to the uh, validity of it.
2: And especially, as, 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 um, as Jesse just told us, somebody who was aware of some of the projects that were being worked on and would know some of these ideas that have been thrown out there. No, to, if to
3: it was, yeah, if it, was, if it was just a weather balloon, I'd be like, pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> be, yeah, why'd you like, wake me up for that? But. Wake me up for a weather balloon, but it, it, it's.
2: But that's the one. The, the one thing that I'm fascinated about by the idea of this book and having it just be released today. I haven't had a chance to see it, but the fact that it's, you know, it it aff- it's, it affects the family and it humanizes the story. And it and it says, you know, look at what happened to my dad as a result of having to be part of this cover up. W- it's commendable that he was a good soldier and he, and he had to do his job and he had to keep it keep it under wraps. But the fact that it can eat somebody up to the point where finally they just have to let it go, I mean, if we find out something, if we were to, to come into information about what's going on, we would just share it with the world immediately. Uh, we're not under those constraints that, that somebody in the military would be. But also, you know, we want to get that out there. And if, if Major Marcel was the same way, here it comes. It's... It's what Audrey was talking about earlier. But if it's, you know... If <laughs> CBS News Update. I'm Sharon Middleman. Hmm. They're trying to hmm. kick us off the air, are they?
3: Possibly. All right. The men in black.
2: So, but uh, to, to, to see the way that it affected an entire family when, when they had to keep it under wraps, and, and I get the idea that they were probably along the same vein as we are, where, you know, they want to share that information, they want to get it out there, but they just couldn't. So, all right. Well, while the, uh, while the government's trying to take us over, do you think we should take a break? We probably ought to. Can you guarantee we can come back?
3: I can't guarantee you anything.
2: All right, well, we will take a break. On the other side, we will have science advisor Matt Moniz live from Roswell. Uh, we will talk about Walter Haut's affidavit that was released this week, and uh, we'll take your calls at 508-996-0500, 508 500 We will be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
3: Come on, Julie. It was what,
0: in the 1950s what, or uh, whatever, you you had that uh, spaceship. Okay. Yeah, that thing that you found in New Mexico. Was Roswell? Roswell, New Mexico, yeah. No, you had the spaceship and you had the bodies. They were all locked up in a, in a bunker.
3: There's never been any spacecraft
2: recovered by our government.
3: Take my word for it, there's no Area 51. There's no recovered spaceship. Oh, excuse me, Mr. President.
0: That's
1: not entirely
0: accurate. Gaining from the studios of AM 1420 WBSN into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast.
2: All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here alongside Matt Costa. And science advisor Matt Moniz is joining us on the phone live from Roswell, New Mexico, where the... uh, the big celebration is going on in observance of the 60th anniversary of the Roswell incident. Uh, Matt, what was the climate like out there this weekend? Uh, I mean, was it um, serious uh, Serious study in the ufology field, or was it more just people going out there to have a good time and, and hey, you know, there was an alien cra- uh, uh, saucer crash here, and let's just go party?
0: I would say the atmosphere out here was, not to make a pun, but quite literally out of this world. <laughs>
2: I've been hearing stories about uh, people walking around dressed as aliens and people claiming uh, to be aliens.
0: And... Oh yeah, yeah. So
2: it sounds That's... like it sounds like they're having like basically a General Moniz barbecue only out in New Mexico.
0: Yeah, basically. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh, now, what what kind of um, information is being shared out there now with? Uh, with all these uh, great minds in the ufology field getting together, uh, is there new information that's uh, coming out? I mean, we're going to get to the to the Walter Hout uh, affidavit in a minute, but is there is there new research being shared amongst the amongst the researchers out there?
0: Oh, actually, yes, there is. Believe it or not, uh, a couple of people actually came forward within the past few days that were former military that worked on the base, that were witnesses, a uh, number of family members that were uh relatives to uh people that worked out here coming forward uh a number of different uh, uh material being shared with people that hadn't been shared in the past so a lot of new information is coming to light
2: uh, is there any of the the major players involved uh, in, in the case uh with any new revelations or is it kind of just people that are uh peripheral that we hadn't really heard about
1: before
0: uh well there's a uh... You poorful people. Uh, well, of course, you have uh, what happened with hot, uh mm-hmm. That that uh, caused a big stir out here, believe it well, or not.
2: Absolutely. And that's actually uh, being published in, in a new book by by your friends Tom Carey and Don Schmidt, Witness to Roswell.
0: Which... Well, Don Schmidt is on the local television show right now with a nice me. I was actually hanging out with uh, Schmidt for a good portion of the day. Uh, I, I've been you know, hanging around with people I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, I, I can give you a quick list of uh, some of the friends I haven't I just ran into.
2: One, one thing that I want to talk to you about is you You did get a chance to meet with Jesse Marcel Jr. and, and speak with him. And oh, yeah. W- what, what are your impressions uh, of the information that he's sharing now? I mean, to, to me... Uh, he's one of the most credible people because here he was as an 11-year-old boy seeing this before the rest of the military got their hands on it and could manipulate it the way they wanted to. And he's really, he, he's come forward in the past, but he's really waited all this time to to really tell his story.
0: Uh, he has. And he's a very, very nice, very likable, very down-to-earth, uh, real salt-of-the-earth type of people. Very laid-back. He tells exactly what, He's on his mind without any, you know, exaggeration, without any, you know, theatrics to it. This is what he says he saw. This is what he says happens. And when you talk to the man personally, and you see the genuine uh, believability mm-hmm. in just his expressions. This is, you know, something that happened to him when he was child. It was a formidable event in his in his early development and childhood something he remembers distinctly uh, because, you know, he was very close to his father and his mother, and uh, th- this was an event that, you know, has stayed with him up until this day, and he promised his father that he would, you know, put his father's word out. That's what he has done.
2: And, and we talked with him about all these, you know, the the quote unquote deathbed confessions. That as as these people that were involved in the incident are getting older, and they feel the need to get it off their chest. And and as we've been talking about Walter Houts' uh, sealed affidavit. Now he he signed and and he signed this in two thousand two. He came clean with this information in two thousand two, uh, with the idea of he wanted it held until after his death. And uh, it, I guess he died in two thousand five.
0: Yeah. Uh, I talked to Walter Haught uh, back in 1995-96. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a two-hour interview with him over the phone, uh, and I discussed with him at length his involvement with Roswell, what he had heard from uh, Blanchard, uh, what he knew of Jesse Marcel Sr., and what his impressions were. And he told me, you know, what, what he had told most of the people, but he also uh, elaborated over the phone a little bit about actually having seen some of the material that people were bringing around the office. Yes. Nothing like what's been said, you know, I guess in his affidavit. But way back in 95, 96, yeah, he did say that, you know, there, he did see some of the people walking around buildings with some of the material because well, that, that also has been said by a number of different people on the base. I've interviewed a number of uh, people that were there uh, during the event, and it was a big event.
2: Well, I mean, around the time of the early 90s, a lot of these former military people from from 1947 were coming clean, and Walter Howard actually uh, signed an affidavit in 1993, which is referenced in Carl Flock's book, Roswell and Perspective, Uh, and in that affidavit he did mention that you know it was not a weather balloon that he did believe it to be a flying saucer that's what he was told by Colonel William Blanchard but that affidavit probably you know takes up about a fourth of the new recently released affidavit in which like you said he got more detailed and he describes the fact that you know he originally was told to put out the the press release saying that they had a flying saucer and then he had to backtrack and and it gets a little bit more in-depth. So this information is, you know, really just uh, a lot more forthcoming than, than he'd been in the past. Uh, and do you think, is the reason why, you know, knowing Don Schmidt, is the reason why that it took so long after his death for this to get released is because they just held on to it until the book came out?
1: Uh,
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's what I figured. I I just wasn't sure if... You know, if it had been released and it just hadn't. So, all So, right, the phone lines are actually lighting up, Matt, if you don't mind taking a few calls before we go. Sure. Okay, let's go right to the phones. Good evening, you are on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing?
4: If you need help, okay. hang up and
2: then dial All right, we'll go right to the other call then. I got a feeling I know who it is. Good evening, you are on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Hello. Okay. Okay. All right, now the other line's ringing, so we'll try that one. Good evening, around spooky South Coast. How are you?
4: It's Audrey. Hi, Audrey. Hi. Hi. It's she wanted you to tell Matt that I'm okay. <laughs>
2: okay, he's he's on the phone, so you can you can talk to him.
4: Okay, Matt.
0: Yes, Audrey. Hi. Uh, hopefully, you're doing well.
4: I'm doing and better. safe? Um, well, I don't know, but we did take care of ourselves and the kids.
0: Not a problem.
4: It's been it's been a very busy night.
0: <laughs> as I'm glad you guys followed my instructions. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with uh, the people that you dealt with, the best thing to do is get away as quickly as possible. Involve any other type of uh, civil authority that you can. Any more witnesses, the more people you can get involved when these people come around, the better. That's what we did.
4: We dropped the kids off at separate locations. I had the guy in the corner. Man, I had him in the corner. I made everybody get out, and I made him explain to me what he was selling to me. I mean, it was ridiculous, Matt. He pulled out these books, and they were signed by people, Matt. They had signatures from people, like autographs. It was weird.
0: Uh, you, you know I've dealt with these type of people before, and uh, I've helped other people that have had to deal with them Did. They're scary in certain sense because they're invading your privacy. They're well, uh, well, he bringing didn't mean in...
4: like he didn't know who he was dealing with until his watch started beeping. You know, you know, it was like, you know, just.
2: Well, it it sounds to me like you know they're trying to use intimidation as their weapon, and and maybe this guy wasn't really that good at that.
4: Uh, he said he was an intern. I said intern on what? <laughs> I said you don't know what you're interning on. And I sat him down. I looked him in the eye. I made him face me. I said, Do you even know what you're selling?
2: Well, one one thing, though, Audrey, is, and and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Jesse Marcel, is, I mean, I know that you've developed kind of like a sixth sense to be able to tell, you know, who you're dealing with, and and you have to to protect yourself uh, in your circumstance, but I, I can just imagine this is part of the reason why, you know, the Marcells and other people like them didn't come forward with this information, because... When you are public about what's been going on, then it kind of opens you up to you don't know who it could be.
4: Exactly, and that's why, I mean, even my mom's like, oh, don't, don't let out my last name, you know, because yeah. then that would make my family look bad. I mean, and I'm looking at her like, Mom, it's real. It's happening now. And if I, if I turned around and said God spoke to me, it would be different.
2: Yeah, well, I understand what you're saying. Matt, what, what is the difference? What are we looking at? in terms of between the cover-up that existed around the Roswell crash in 1947, which uh, I'm, I'm assuming was mostly military, and, and the, the, the men in black, the, the, the people that we have now that are covering up what's going on. I mean, are we seeing, is it, is it a, a military-CIA type of difference?
0: Well, what we have going on now with the term M.I.B. It just reference to the original uh, intimidation tactics that happened. Uh, most MIB encounters today, they're not really wearing, you know, the black. Uh, Matt, the do you think mm-hmm. now
4: they're trying to let this out? you think they uh, want us to tell what's going They're looking going to
0: on? Su- suppress people uh, bringing the information out. But the, like I said, they, they use a number of different tactics.
4: I, I had a feeling when I was talking to this kid and I was getting right into his eyes. He had no idea what was going on, but they knew I was going to tell him what was going on. So I think they, they want...
2: Like you're like you're a training out. case for them?
4: Yeah. Almost. And I told him, do you even know what you're dealing with? I mean, I had this guy in the corner, and he looked like a scared nope. deer in the headlight.
2: When, when he came in, what exactly was he trying to, to say to you? What was he trying to find he, out? Well,
4: he knocked on the door, and we were watching a movie. I said, Debbie, there's somebody at the door. I said, get the kids out. He walked in with a black bag. And we went, the kids looked outside, because I've been talking to my kids about what's going on, okay? And this is not a secret anymore to us, to my family. This is an ongoing thing that is, is spreading, and it's, it's, it's becoming more public. But I think when he came in, he pulled out a book, like an encyclopedia salesman. He pulled out a book, but this book had a picture of the earth on it, with like it was exploding. And it said, volume number one on it and he opened it up and there was signatures there was a bunch of pages where people signed things mm-hmm. and i didn't get to read what they signed i said you know who's writing you know what is this do you know what you're selling and i picked up a book that i bought yesterday at the recycle center and i threw it at him i said you're charging me 29.95 for this book that i already know what's in it and i asked him do you know what's in it buddy and I made him look in my eyes, and I said, do you know who I am? And then his watch started beeping. And I said, why is your watch beeping? He says, oh, well, my boss beeps me every five minutes to make sure I'm awake. I'm like, what, do you sleep at the wheel? It, this is what I'm telling this I guy mean, as I'm looking him in the eye.
2: It, it sounds to me, and you don't—you didn't get a title off the book? Or...
4: It, it was um, it was no, I didn't. I I had the book in my hand, but, you know, there was so much going on. I could have got license plates. I could have got a lot, but all I wanted well, your was first, the Well,
2: your first thought is just get them out of the house. I
4: wanted the kids mm-hmm. to be safe. I, I mean, there's there's three kids there, you know, and my sister was in the other room calling Matt. At the same time, I had this guy in the corner.
2: Matt, Matt it sounds to me like, um, it doesn't sound to me like this is as... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like as you know, intimidating as they usually are, the reports we usually hear.
4: It's because they're sending well, they, in <laughs> like, like
2: maybe they need to start bringing in uh, some inexperienced people. Like th- they're sending people out that aren't quite ready yet. if
4: they want. Well, no. Good.
0: Okay. What what they do or have done in a lot of recent cases. It, it's the soft approach that they start with. They, okay. they, you know what I mean? They'll start with a little bit, you know, get you thinking. They put you uneasy. They don't go with the, like what they did with me years ago, you know, the hard sell threats and, you know, intimidation.
4: Most people they let you know that there's, what's going on right away. There. All right.
0: Well,
2: yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Audrey. I think you're a little bit more, uh, a little bit more well-versed in what's going on than others might be.
4: Well, I go, I go into the grocery store, and there's some, I mean, I, you know, I look at the Cheerios box. I went in the other day and bought bottles of wine. They happen to have spaceships on them. You know what I mean? I make lamps out of these bottles, and Matt, you're going to get one, by the way. <laughs> very cool. So, yeah, I
2: mean, you're very visible in, in what's going on because you're not trying to hide it anymore.
4: Exactly, but I think that might be what's going on is they want it to come out a little bit more because why would this guy come into the house with these books? On something he doesn't even understand, and I had to explain
2: to him the, the one thing that I, I keep going back to in my mind though Audrey, is that it's possible, and I know that you know you you were there, and you know better than I, but the one thing that I keep coming back to is that it's possible that he's not part of what's going on you know with with the cover up and with the exactly. mIBs
4: that's what I told him. But
2: that he I, thinks that he is. I,
4: or, well, or, I, no, he had no idea. This kid had no idea. But you know what I mean,
2: yeah. like, like.
4: Um, oh, they're they're sending these kids in. He had no idea who he was dealing with. I sat him down. I said, "Do you even know where you are? He, he, Why your watch is ringing?"
2: But he could he could know who you are through, you know, because you're becoming more public about this, and he could be, you know, just some. Crazy delusional nut. Which either way, I mean, it's oh, well,
4: still... I, well, even if it, no, I wish it was a crazy delusional nut. But this kid was like the most innocent looking kid I've ever seen. But I still took well, I mean, him that and does, held him against the wall. I still uh, put him against the wall. Okay.
5: I'm sorry, Mac, go ahead. Uh, Can I
2: make a point though? Sure.
0: We really should get back onto the topic at hand of what the show's about, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not, not to cut you off, Audrey, but to, this is a topic for another show.
2: Yeah, we do. We need to get a little bit more information and and see what happens. So we'll we'll check back in with you, Audrey, okay, for sure. Okay, I
4: will be here. Okay, take care. I right,
2: love you. Bye-bye. All right, bye. All right. Yeah, Matt. Uh, I just you know to to have it be so fresh in her mind, I can understand where she's she's
0: upset. Yeah, so. uh, it's a very frightening experience. Uh, and I. But all we're doing, her.
2: like you said, all, all we're doing is speculating at this point. So right. Uh, But uh, yeah, getting back, uh, we have about uh, about eight minutes or so uh, back into the Roswell idea. But that is one thing that I wanted. I wanted to get your opinion on is what the difference was between the cover up then and the cover ups now. And I think, you know, the advent of the CIA and if this does come under their jurisdiction now, uh, they have totally different tactics and and totally different reasoning uh, than the military would.
0: Uh, you're talking in terms of roswell
2: just in in terms of of the cover up of between you know the military covering up Roswell and say the c i a or or Black ops or whoever else covering up you know what 's going on with these abductees and and, and people that are in audrey 's position now
0: okay, well, you have to remember uh the Roswell event happened just shortly after a world war. we were still in the wartime mode in a certain sense, and the military was uh,
2: was still the fort. Was still the first authority in this type of stuff then?
0: Right. Uh, it, it takes a number of years for a uh, country to basically demilitarize their security mm-hmm. after after a war. Because you're still it, on heightened in alert. Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, shortly after the Roswell event is when the CIA was actually formed. Some people even theorize that the Roswell event was the impetus for the start of the CIA. Actually.
2: Well, quite possible.
0: Uh, well, it's interesting that uh the CIA formed uh, I believe it was two months after the initial event and most of the people involved I believe uh, Forrestal was one of the people that was originally first put on the uh, committee uh then later on it split into what we have today of the CIA and the NSA I believe that is the pedigree that that stems from 1947 yeah
2: and so, yeah, so back then it was you know first you know a matter of national security uh for protection of the country, and now it's almost like w- what's going on now is uh protection of their own ass more than anything
0: right uh what happened you know it was it, that was at the transition point where it went from the military security to civilian security it's it, it, a transition from uh a military form of um my, mindset of the government, to back to the civilian mindset.
1: But
2: part of that, too, is the the difference in what was being uh, the information that could be possibly released then. I mean, in 1947, what did we have? We had the appearances of flying saucers in the sky, and we had uh, the alleged crash of one. Uh, that's a, a huge difference between what's going on today with abduction cases, with uh, some of the supposed... You know, uh, aliens working with the United States government. So much more would needed to, would need to be covered up now than back then. We were kind of in the infancy of what was going on in 1947. Hmm. I mean, if if uh, you agree, I mean, I, w- you, I
0: would have to agree with you.
2: Yeah, I mean, you've done more research, so. But I mean, it, it seems to me like, you know, it was kind of uh, the reason why the Roswell case stands out so much, and the reason why the Roswell case can be broken down and, and have people contradict what the cover-up is and, and have this information come out is because they weren't really that good at covering it up back then
0: uh, no on the contrary they were very good at covering things back up back then and that like I said that still stems from uh, the wartime mentality well, I that mean, they had
2: they certainly could cover up events but I mean in terms of dealing with with this information I mean I don't know about you you could tell me uh, you know you could tell me a secret about you know yourself personally and ask me not to tell and I could keep that secret, fine, no problem. But then when you tell me something extraordinary that, that would alter my perception of life in addition to everybody else I could possibly share it with, I don't think I'd be able to keep that under wraps. And well, I think that what's going on here is that they weren't, they didn't know how to deal with these secrets, these type of secrets at that point in time.
0: I, I would disagree because, like I said, they, they came from the World War II and mentality whereas and they had to keep secrets because it meant lives okay uh you, you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. they, they kept the manhattan project very secret right up until the point of where they dropped the bombs uh now these type of secrets can be kept in it, it was that keep things hushed because you don't know who's listening this might cause a you know cause a problem with our our boys being killed because you spread this information so they were used used to and conditioned to withholding information and keeping things quiet from back then.
2: And, and now, I mean, looking at, you're there now. You're, excuse me, you're in Roswell.
0: Yeah, I'm you, in Roswell, yeah.
2: You see the way that it affects these people. Uh, you see, I mean, not just the people that are there for the for the big, you know, UFO party.
0: Oh, I'm talking to the residents as well. As it, a matter of fact, was uh, a bit of synergy here. I, I The woman I was sitting next to on the plane, on the plane ride into Albuquerque was um, a resident. She was born here in Roswell. And I told her where I was going. I was like, oh, I was born in Roswell. And uh, she's like, yeah, I remember that event. Now, this is a woman that has never told her story to anybody. Mm-hmm. And she remembers she was six years old when the event happened. Her parents owned a store here in, uh, in the city. And she remembers distinctly various people coming into the stores, the local people and people from the Army base, because the army, you know, used a lot of the facilities within the town, and people talked after this event. And as remembers hearing people talking about the debris, talking about the material and stuff like that in hushed tones, you know, mm-hmm. to her parents. You know, a six-year-old will be sitting there on the floor as she was talking about, you know, and most people, and when they're talking about things, especially even back then, you know, kids were ignored.
2: Well, we have about two you know what I mean. Minutes. Yeah, we have about two minutes left. Uh, one thing I want to make sure too is, is uh, in the words of our good friend Bugs Bunny, you did not take a wrong turn at Albuquerque, right?
0: I have not taken a left. Okay, and, but I will on the way back.
2: Okay, and then the, uh, the but the the one final question I have is, it, to have this happen to a town like Roswell, and and we talked with Jesse about the Roswell legacy. Are they ever? I mean, this is they're always going to be identified with this.
0: Uh, the stigma has stuck. That's what your question. Is.
2: And and will there finally be will there be vindication at some point when when we finally know everything that went on if that can ever possibly happen, um, you know does this become uh, one of the most key places in the history of, uh, of mankind?
0: It, it will definitely be one of the most important places in the history of man. Yeah, I mean, if, what, if, it, if the events happen the way they said that they did. In some cases, yeah, this will definitely be one of the "quote unquote" hallowed grounds of humanity.
2: I mean, we can't we can't guarantee that it's the place of, of first contact because if you want to go back to the ancient astronauts and, right. and you know things A like modern that.
0: Modern context,
1: put it that way.
2: Exactly. If it, if it's what changed the modern world, uh, then I think you know it becomes just as important as some of these biblical places. Uh, you know, some of these these sites that we've long revered, and no longer will Roswell have to deal with the you know, the joke that surrounds the city to a lot of people in the mainstream. So,
0: Well, the city has embraced it, uh, and they they use it as part of their badge of honor in a certain sense. I'm glad to see that they have.
2: All right, well, uh, we are just about out of time, and we thank you for making the trip out there and uh, and for checking in with us. I know that you wanted to dedicate most of your time out there to research, and I know that you have an investigation plan that you can... Fill us in about later on, but we want you yeah, to... Yeah,
0: actually, since uh, they know I'm friends with a lot of the ghost hunters, the actual museum here is haunted.
2: Well, you can uh, definitely give us an update next week when you're back with us.
0: Uh, not a problem, so i got to go get ready to do a ghost hunt in the museum.
2: All right, well, have a good time. Stay safe, and uh, have a safe trip back, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, brothers. All right, take care. Bye. And for, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. Stay spectacular, everybody.
0: I
1: know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to.